Welcome to the Sustainability and You podcast, a series of interviews focusing on facts shared by passionate advocates who are part of the movement towards net zero. I'm Josephine Bush, and I'm the founder of the Sustainability and You platform. And I'm Tilly Wickens, the leader of our Young Ambassadors Council. In this podcast series, our aim is to raise awareness, encourage collaboration, and join the dots between disciplines that will influence policy and decision-making as we move to net zero. We are aiming to bridge the gap between silos and generations, strengthening the lines of communication with a small, influential community of people who care and are passionate about how we create change. In this episode of the Sustainability and You podcast, we interview Morton Rongard, CEO and co-founder of Reality Plus. He is recognised as a pioneer in the fields of blockchain, cryptocurrencies and augmented reality. Morton is a regular speaker around the world on those topics and a board member of the Nordic Blockchain Association and holds several advisory positions. We explore the world of blockchain as it relates to sustainability. The convergence of these two worlds creates many challenges and opportunities. But in realising its potential, we look at how blockchain may be leveraged to advance sustainable objectives through traceability, disclosures, provenance of carbon credits and other applications. We also look at the sustainable footprint of blockchain itself and its own challenges in moving to net zero. Also on this podcast, I am absolutely delighted to welcome on board a new young ambassador, Emily Bajant. Emily is reading for an MSc in Carbon Management at the University of Edinburgh and the Edinburgh Climate Change Institute, having achieved a BSc in Building Surveying with a First Class Honours degree. She is currently a sustainability consultant with TFT, and she was identified as one of EY's 94 Network for Future female C-suite leaders. So welcome, Morton, to the Sustainability and You podcast. Emily and I are absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, We're really excited about the potential of blockchain um, and its relationship with sustainability. But before we kick off, Morton, I wanted to introduce our new young ambassador to our audience. Uh, We have Emily Bajant with us, who is our new young ambassador, uh, joining our, uh, our growing team. But Emily, would you introduce yourself? Thank you so much. As you said, hi, my name is Emily. I have a built environment background. That's my sort of thing. I did my undergraduate in building surveying and I have then sort of moved on to do my master's in carbon management. Uh, alongside that, I'm working as a sustainability consultant for a surveying firm, uh, looking at all sorts of elements of sustainability, both holistic and, you know, soft touch and real life uh, kind of work however that's enough about me uh Morton why don't you tell us about yourself and how you got into the world of crypto 
Yes. So my name is Morten Rongard. I am the CEO and co-founder of Reality Plus. And just a quick one, Reality Plus started out as a game company back in 2017 called Reality Gaming Group. But we rebranded because we also started, my personal journey started back in 2013 with, with blockchain and especially Bitcoin back then, but couldn't see how you could use the technology to develop on it. So it wasn't until Ethereum came out with our white paper that I was, I need to be full into this one. This is going to be my new life. I'm going to steer my ship in this direction. And I've been in a, a huge fan of blockchain ever since because I could see that this would change the world and also change how we suddenly saw digital assets uh, in a new world. So that that's how... I you know, came into this whole blockchain space basically back then. So you definitely had foresight then, uh, Morton, to have picked up on that as early as you did. But perhaps for the uninitiated, you could walk us through some of the basics of how blockchain works. Yes. It seems a mystery to some people, uh, me included. So, uh, <laughs> no, and, I, and I understand because it is really hard, right? You know, even though I work in this and I've worked in this, spent, I would say, 14, 16, sometimes like 18 hours a day reading about this, been in this, you know, 24-7, I'm still amazed about new projects coming to life every single day where I'm just like, oh, that's an interesting way how to use blockchain. And, you know, for me, that is, that's what's the interesting, you know, about this, right? But let me take you back and where I see blockchain, right? So for what really made me go full into this was understanding that with a smart contract where I don't need to trust anyone, where basically the smart contract has the rules to exchange and ownership of a digital asset. So I was, you know, I was a gamer. I'm still a gamer, but I've spent a lot of money on games and a different kind of assets, everything from weapon to whatever it is. And uh, I always assumed that I owned the assets. You know, like once I bought them, you know, I paid money for them, I owned them. But suddenly with the white paper from Ethereum coming out and I was just like, oh, interesting. So that whole talk about decentralization and centralization for me, was just like, so if they shut down the servers, I actually don't own anything of what I've just purchased. So for me, that was a big kind of like aha experience, but also kind of like I've been naive because, you know, I actually assumed that I own the assets. But for me, that also said that, okay, if, if blockchain can give me that security, it also means that it opens up for new opportunities. Like I could see that the world was becoming more and more digital. You know, I could buy a physical book, I can read the physical book, and I could sell it afterwards. Good. But I can buy an audio book, but I can't sell it afterwards. And why can't I do that? Because it doesn't have a digital identifier around the asset itself. So I saw that, okay, we could actually create a whole secondary market on digital assets because now I can prove that you actually are the owner. And for me, that was also creating what I will call like a secondary marketplace for digital assets. Uh, it could be audiobooks. It could be uh, the latest Adobe program. It could be whatever it could be. Because suddenly, I would say, countries that couldn't afford it weren't as wealthy as I am. Like, I'm from Denmark. We're quite wealthy, high tax system, even though we always have to have something to complain about. But we still have enough money, uh, even in an energy crisis, right? You know, it's hard, but, you know, we're going to survive. But there are countries that has much more bigger problems than we have. 
And I could just see that why are we just like this whole society is just like I could just use it for a short while and then just throw it away. You know, if that suddenly with like an adult program, you know, why can't I sell it to countries that doesn't have the newest computer but could use this license? And basically you can create that whole secondary market. So that was how I initially saw that whole thing. But I also saw that now you become more and more digital, you have a whole different issue, which is sustainability. And I am, again, from Denmark, and, and even though we are a small, small country, so we're like the size of Hamburg in Germany, right? So it's it's really a very small country, but very innovative, high purchase power, and, and we really care about the environment. So I saw that, okay, we also need to work about that whole sustainability angle. How can I change that within my own company now and how can I take that into my I would say almost like my DNA company DNA moving forward that this is something we need to address so that was kind of like how I started but how does the blockchain actually work if we go back even to those simple fundamentals and to explain is it always asset backed so is it giving you a proportionate share of the underlying asset through the the digital so basically it's I will call it like the ledger or the, the bookkeeping of the internet. So mm-hmm. every kind of transaction, let's say you own the book, we now have a digital identifier around it. So when when I have a copy of, let's say, the Ethereum network or any kind of like blockchain, you have a copy, Emily has a copy, I have a copy, but we, we, we don't know each other, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody is, is doing a transaction, our blockchain or our copy of the same ledger is now identifying that this puzzle or this block is now being sold. You know, like we're giving it what I call a puzzle. So we we all put the same puzzle together in the same period of time. And now we've validated that this is a transaction. I think it really helped me as someone who's completely uninitiated to this to explain the concept of fungibility, um, because that's kind of where the ownership comes in. I don't yeah. know if you could explain that much better than I ever could. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think this is where where it gets. For me, many people just complicated, right? Because it is essentially transaction coming in. We all have a version of the same blockchain, so a copy of it. And that's also how we can validate. So suddenly if Emily's, let's say she got hacked and suddenly she has been part of approving a transaction in a past block, that's why also you can't go back and just change it, which you can in a centralized server where you can go back and say, oh, by the way, you know, I want to change this because now it's not your ownership, but I want to change the, let's say, the outcome, the price, whatever it could be within that block being sold. But suddenly we can see that Emily's ledger is out of sync with our copy. So something is wrong. So we can exclude her from the network because we can't trust her bookkeeping anymore because she may be hacked. Something has happened or whatever. Sorry, Emily, but, you know, you, you get it. <laughs> so, so we need to trust it, right? Because we all have an exact copy. That's why also we can see if somebody's trying to manipulate it. Because if I'm trying to manipulate Emily's bookkeeping, I also need to have control over your bookkeeping, Josephine, also, right? Just to take just the three of us. Uh, but now we're talking about a thousand different kind of people who we don't know. They are anonymous. We don't know who's the validators on the blockchain. But we all know that they have been part of putting the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. So that's in the block of transaction. That's why we call it, once the block has been solved, it goes into a chain. So that chain is a blockchain of transactions already mm-hmm. been solved. And that's why also you can't just go back in time and solve it because then you need to know all the thousand people who has helped you validating that block 
in an anonymous way, either you need to have control of all the computers in the world in order to change that, or you need to know who actually has been part of validating that transaction. So that's a very secure way how you can have what I call the the, the bookkeeping of the internet. If we sort of move this onto the world of finance, um, do you think the democratization of finance through crypto is really as far-reaching as it wants to be? Uh, is it really providing greater and wider access to finance? You know, I'm not a <laughs> big question. I'm not a, I'm not a finance guy, but I would say in general, for me, Web three is democracy. You know, we're talking about democracy in that sense. Also, for me, it's about you owning your data and and you know you are in control it's not centralized it's decentralized uh, i believe that we're going to see financial models especially with the new web free moving forward i'm not saying right now I've, I, right now i'm seeing research i'm seeing exploration you know people are trying to explore this space people are trying to see how can we use this to create new models and i think with the with the NFT or with the blockchain itself, uh, the smart contracts, you have an option for royalties or commission. I think that is changing a lot of that financial element to it. So I can build in uh, in all my smart contracts, all my projects, that 2% of the commission every time these NFTs are getting traded, the value of that 2% automatically goes into a wallet for charity auctions or charity uh, organizations. I can I can code that in. I don't need to trust my accountant manually have to go in and calculate by the end of the year how much money do need, needs to go into charity and so on. Automatically, as soon as these are, uh, these are being traded, that can happen via the smart contract. So I don't have to wait until the end of the year. If a company goes bankrupt, it doesn't matter because the smart contract is already there and maybe already is validated by by some kind of charity organization and so on. And then it could be a community going together and voting, saying that, oh, by the way, we can see there is $50,000, which is generated by secondary sales via reality. And now my community can vote what kind of charity or what kind of green tech organizations or, or sustainability organization do we want to, uh, to basically support, right? So I think... It's not maybe what you asked about, but I think that's the financial part. Like it's really, it's really hard to to explain. I think so. From you know, again, I'm not a financial guy in that sense. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the reading I've done, you know, there's a lot of talk about how it's getting rid of the intermediary because it's enabling individuals more broadly to access financial opportunity uh, and invest directly in things that they might not otherwise have done, or they may have gone to their financial advisor to. To, to, to seek a, uh, a recommendation uh, for for investment. So getting rid of the middleman, so to speak, uh, has been... Yeah, and, and that's the smart contracts, basically, right? The smart yeah. contracts is that replacement for the middleman because suddenly I don't need to, to trust you. Let's say Emily and I wanted to do a transaction, and in this case... We we approach you, Josephine, and I'm sorry to keep using you guys as example. <laughs> no, so bear with me, but but in that case, I had to trust you that you would do the transaction. You would have to if I'm giving you the money, and basically you also hold the item or the asset that that Emily is providing you. Both of us needs to trust you. In this case, we're trusting the smart contract instead. So if if Emily has put up an asset for sale, it's in a smart contract. This is now being put into escrow. Mm -hmm. So we trust the the uh, the tech behind it, and 
I can't just get it saying, oh, by the way, Emily, I'm going to send you the money, uh, but I never do, right? So I can't get the asset. I actually need to send the money to the smart contract. So the smart contract will recognize I now have the $200 that is the price for this asset. And at the same hand, it's also protecting me from a malicious seller that suddenly is just like canceling the listing, collecting both the money and still have the asset. In that case, that the smart contract gets uh, half the asset and also gets the money, ownership will change. And in the same second, I will get the asset and Emily will get the money. And we don't have to trust anyone, but actually the smart contract, which is kind of dumb because it's just a computer. It's just code, right? So it's just saying that these are the rules and I can't do anything because these are the rules. You know, I need to fill the rules and I need to have money before I can release it to the new and change ownership and so on. Yeah. So there are huge implications for that beyond this podcast for the financial community at large. When you think about the use cases uh, for that, that, that potentially will pick up maybe on another podcast. But um, I'm, I'm interested to explore with you, um, Morton, how you see the use cases for this within the world of sustainability and what sort of things that you're you're seeing. Can we explore that with you? Yes. So I, since 2017, when I started basically uh, my company, we were, you know, I would say pioneers in this space, right? You know, we were one of the first one, you know, the network was there, but we also were a very few amount of companies using the network. So at that time, it was what we call a consensus model called proof of work, meaning that basically miners are getting rewarded for doing uh, putting their computer up to to grab, so basically they are validating the transactions, and it's it's a huge cost in electricity to keep that proof of work consensus. I don't want to go into an argument about you know is proof of work really a bad consensus because there's also security matter that people are kind of like neglecting in this whole thing. But I could see the issue that no matter how much you were arguing about security and making sure your funds were safe and the whole thing. I could see an issue with proof of work getting adopted by just like normal people just saying that, oh, this is a good idea, right? Because huge electricity cost. Mm. So I saw that in my own business saying, okay, we need to change. We need to change how we work. We, we still, I love the blockchain, but I need to have a different approach. And also me as a company wanted to do something really good for sustainability, but I'm kind of limited. You know, I can only do a certain amount of, things within my company, then I can be as green as possible. But I, it's really hard for me to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. I can buy trees, I can get a certificate, I can buy carbon credits, and so on. But my issue was that I didn't trust neither of them. I didn't trust the data that was behind it, because mm-hmm. I knew with carbon credits, most of the the data was manipulated. It was mm-hmm. not true. It was maybe sold multiple times, which we have seen over and over again. So I said, okay, I I still need carbon credits in some way. So maybe I should take a whole different approach and invest in a company. Find a company that basically is doing good and, uh, and invest in them and using my technology to do what they are doing already, but put it on the blockchain. Make it transparent because suddenly that was what I needed as a company. I needed transparency in what these, what I call green tech companies are doing because they have never been able to get funding because it's more like from a 
good feeling point of view, like, you know, you're doing something good and some some VCs or some funds are, are supporting that, giving them funds, but they are really having issues scaling because they are solving a big issue. They are actually changing uh, the world, but they just don't have the funds to scale because it's not a good investment when, when we're talking about traditional uh, investment money. So I said, let me invest in that. So I found a company called Refeed Farms in Canada, mm-hmm. which is an amazing um, company. So basically, they do food restorations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so they have different kind of deals where they get food in, also from farmers, from producers. They sort it out. Some can be reused for humans. Some is now being um, being chopped up and basically go into like a vertical farming bed, but with worms. Mm-hmm. So the worms actually, it, because it's still nutritious, you know, it, so, so the vegetable, the fruit is still there. They, they mix it up, the fruit and vegetable, basically with manure from dairy farmers, where they have drained uh, the water from it, so the liquid. So it's actually like a mushy, kind of like uh, earthy kind of thing, but still very nutritious. And the worms, they love it. You know, this is just like, hallelujah, this is heaven, right? So they they consume it. And this is where, for me, was so interesting. So the worm casting from the worms is now actually replacing synthetic fertilizers because this is organic fertilizers. Mm-hmm. So now what they actually, this vertical farming, uh, they can they can produce up to one ton per day. So suddenly we can now have a product with food which is, I would say, it's too late because it's already produced, but now we're solving it. So we have a zero-waste kind of facility. For me, that was an eye-opener, saying I need to put this on the blockchain because now the work that you do, taking a holistic view on it, adding an LCA module to calculate all the good that you actually are doing as a company, I want to invest in this. So basically all the all my revenue and all my revenue that I'm generating or profit, I can now buy carbon credits that I actually trust because I know what you're doing. And we then have a third-party audit from Deloitte who are validating the different kind of risk points to make sure we don't have any greenwashing. So all is now being put into a blockchain. Everything right. is transparent. So I can go in and say that, oh, the metadata on, on this NFT or whatever it is, the asset, I can click on it. I can see that today, 40 tons of uh, oranges came from this supply chain. I can track the whole thing. I can see how many has been reused. I can see how much has gone into uh, the vertical farming bed, how much has been added into soil improvement, and so on. So this is really, for me, was to make this suddenly transparent and take a huge step forward and saying that if I'm putting this on the blockchain, I'm also making you actually open up now for being uh, possible to invest in because now your work is actually transparent. We have solid yeah. proof. We have data behind it that you are making a difference. And for me, that was my first step into how me as a company, because investing into these, I'm also now handling all the footprint on all the users using my platform because I invested in an AG tech company, which is not normal for a digital company, but yeah. I am not normal. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I just before we sort of, I'd like to explore that side of it further, but I'd just like to yeah. sort of take a step back and deal with the un- energy consumption um, yeah. point that you were making earlier and uh, the extensive energy use 
for for the development of blockchain. If if we look at that side, there's obviously been a lot of criticism increasingly around data centers and uh, development of blockchain around that extensive energy use. Um, What do you think the solutions are uh, for that side of the supply chain? Is it to have more renewable energy production on site or much more mindful and conscious use of renewable energy to deplete the carbon footprint of the development of blockchain what what are your views on that i think it's it's always been because it's suddenly getting very technical right and that's why you lose people and that's why also sometimes blockchain is just confusing because you lose people and i think one of the biggest misunderstanding has been also that in a proof of work kind of like mining world right you know they will always look at the most optimal way how to make money because they make money on, again, the the validation of the transactions. Mm -hmm. So they will always try to maximize that profit and maximize that profit is also how can I go into uh, have more mining power and so on and so on. So you're actually driving the green agenda because they are always looking how to optimize. So they they are basically choosing data centers where they're reusing the energy because then they can have more mining power and so on. I've seen this. We've worked with any kind of like, you know, Amazon, Hetzna, uh, Orange, you know, all the big ones. We have, we've worked with them because they all are focused about, we want to optimize. We want to make sure that we don't, you know, leave anything out there. And I can see that that has been the biggest kind of like misunderstanding, especially with miners that they are, they are bad for the environment. You know, it, it, I've actually seen they have pushed green solutions quicker go to market because suddenly that was proving that we need to solve the waste heat. We need to make a different way. So suddenly I could see waste heat from servers gone into uh, a circulation where basically it was, uh, what's it called in English, but um, condensed. So basically it was like water again. The water was then going back into the servers to, to cool them down. So suddenly we saw very kind of like innovative uh, inventions, I would say, just because we saw a, a discussion around proof of work. I'm not saying it's going to be a solution, but I, I've seen some yeah. really good kind of like... Uh, yeah, it highlights a really interesting point, doesn't it? Because optimization can be, in part, I'll acquire the cheapest energy source yeah. out there, which may not necessarily be green. But equally, what you have highlighted is that it's an industry in transition. Yes. And that actually the profits being made within the industry are being recycled into green technologies. And there's definitely a consciousness within the community sort of driving yeah. that and funding. Uh, and funding it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because, yeah. again, we, we are becoming more and more digital. Our companies are and our world is more digital, right? So we are always looking at how we can maximize and optimize our business, right? So this is also about choosing the right kind of like servers, the right kind of like partners. And I took a decision back in 2017 saying that I was working with German Hetzner at that time. Uh, so they were already, uh, all their servers was either wind powered or um, water powered. So hydro powered, right? So it for me, that was a, a deliberate choice. You know, I knew it cost me more money, but I took that decision because then at least I knew that I could calculate the LCA again when minting an NFT, because that was also a discussion. NFT is bad for the environment, but I could actually prove suddenly with the LCA calculation that minting an NFT in my setup 
was less than a visa transaction. Just to be able to prove that also gave me basically a head start in this whole space where I could go to BBC saying that, I know you guys, ESG, the whole thing means a lot for you, right? So being a partner with you guys, I can now prove this is my calculation. This is my sustainability setup. This is the impact we are having. Mm -hmm. And not only are we less than a visa transaction, but by the way, I'm also now handling everything carbon footprint happening on the platform. So you don't even have to worry. Once a year, you will get uh, basically a report saying that this is the amount of carbon footprint all your users using the BBC or the BBC project. We are now handling that so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to offset that. We're doing it for you because we have taken that responsibility. So, I mean, again, that raises another very important point, isn't it, around disclosure and transparency as to the carbon life cycle of what it is that you're sort of doing. So, and yeah. Statistics, so, right? You know, it's yeah. like statistics. It's, it's so easy to manipulate but making it transparent why i'm saying here you go you can click in you can see because it's the blockchain we know you can't manipulate it because everything is transparent and i even have a third party company to audit the whole thing because i want to make this transparent i believe this technology can drive the green agenda because suddenly you are now releasing or unreleasing basically a whole industry that have never been able to get investment because it's never been a good investment in that sense right because it's just been just for my greater good you know i'm doing something I, I look good on paper but now because you actually have made it transparent because any kind of big data company can optimize whatever they can within the company but they still need to trust the data buy carbon credits or buy something to offload basically you know still what they are doing and they want to do this but they they don't trust it that's why they don't brag about it a lot of people buy carbon credits just so they look good in the books, but they never yeah. trust the data. They never trust it because they're just like, okay, but I need to do it because my investors, my board, my customers are actually uh, demanding it. So that's why I'm I'm doing it. But I never trust the data because I know it's manipulated. Now we can actually provide a system where it's transparent for everybody. And before we get onto the sort of offset side, can you give some examples of where you've seen innovation being supported and driven by the blockchain community on that supply side for energy because you talked about that and how it's driving investment and helping green that side of the supply chain it'd be just interesting to see maybe one or two examples of what you've seen there before we move on to offsets yeah basically what i've seen is that data centers and especially i would say some of the big ones we're working very closely now with amazon because amazon has actually a very, very, I would say, aggressive, innovative solution or approach to this, right? They really want to drive this forward. I work very closely with the whole team because they saw what we were doing quite early. And, you know, they want to drive this before 2030. They actually believe that a lot of the data centers already are already now carbon neutral. But we can go beyond that because it's a part of changing the economic model, again, going back to financial changing that upside down you know what is actually broken right now because it's it's old-fashioned way to do it but now we can change that with the blockchain we can make sure that automatically revenue profit is appointed set out to instantly transform the green agenda we can support uh, farmers who normally always would take the transformation they need to do because politician has chosen now we want to have a new what you call it i don't know the english word for it but like a 
like a certification, like a certified kind of like, it could be, you know, just to prove that you're ecologic or whatever you are. Suddenly it's always the farmers who needs to pay for that from their own profit or their own revenue, right? Suddenly you could generate an economic model with this where automatically you as a consumer already are paying a little bit of fraction instead of this to, to credit card companies, maybe a little fraction goes into a green agenda kind of wallet, the treasury that now pays if the politicians are changing something in a new certificate, a new way you need to invest in, now basically the treasury is paying for that transformation so we can have it faster. We can have a quicker adoption of this new way to do it instead of them have to starve and, and think about new ways how they can optimize also. But now we can quicker, I think, so change how we actually approach the green, uh, green agenda because the blockchain can automatically just assign into a smart contract, into a wallet, part of revenue, part of profit generating from every time these assets get sold or being used. So for me, that is the biggest kind of like how we really can make a, such a massive change very quickly without politicians need to, you know, decide or whatever, because we can do that change with using this technology. That That's what I think is the beauty about this. We don't need to wait on them because we can wait forever. They're never going to decide because it's always... BS kind of like opinions or lobbyists, or you know, it, it, there's so many opinions and so many things that that normal consumer never understands. But they understand that suddenly we have a treasury where all the us companies are. We want to be part of this. We want to allocate X amount of our revenue or profit going into this pool. But then that pool will be used to really push the green agenda. You know, I'm talking to companies every day who wants to be part of this. But everybody's just waiting for politicians because they're just like, yeah, okay, but we need to wait for them. Why? You know, that's why I never, I've never agreed to that. I've never just sat on my ass and just waited <laughs> for that <laughs> because I'm not that type of person. You know, if I can see that we can do something, let's drive it forward. You know, people are demanding it. And for me, giving that transparency now, you can say companies, some companies will say, no, I don't believe it. Like they said back then, I don't believe in the internet. I don't believe in social strategy. I don't believe in that. But mm -hmm. But at some point, because the digital economy already now is moving from Web 2 to Web 3. Yeah. So if they don't do it and suddenly is transforming and embracing this in their company, their consumers are gone. You know, again, you know, generations like Emily, they are gone because they actually have some values that they will honor. And if you as a company doesn't follow through and actually try to embrace that and, and kind of like understand your audience, understand your consumers, they're gone. And you will just sit back and say, okay, what happened? Simply because they are, they want that transparency. They want to see what you are doing as a business, and they will demand it from you. And if you want to do it, yes, perfect. Then you still have your audience. But if you don't want to do it, you're going to lose your audience. And some of them are just never going to find out what happened. So, I think that's where the blockchain really has that transparency for you to to uh, to give you that. I love your energy with this. Could we have a you in every industry, please? Could we duplicate you everywhere? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just very passionate about it because I can see yeah. this, is, this is really, it can change. We can change the world yeah. if, if there were like, you know, we need to spread it out. That's why I love these podcasts, right? Because we need to spread this out. This technology is not about what is bad, electricity. This technology can suddenly, just like we've seen artists suddenly getting onboarded, Having, having, having like a, a normal day-to-day -day job, we suddenly saw NFTs coming out where they could earn more money by selling their artwork because they were talented. It's artists, right? Now we can see the blockchain technology. What I've always said that 
that can be used to drive the green agenda because we're making things transparent. And then when things are transparent, people dare to invest in it. And you started to uh, talk earlier about the traceability and visibility of of offsets in in terms of your own experience and your own investment. It's incredibly important to the development of the carbon market um, that we have that visibility because a lot of the criticism of it has been around double counting, retirement of credits, and really understanding the provenance and the quality of the underlying carbon sequestration uh, or avoidance um, opportunity. Can you just say a little bit more then about what you're seeing sort of beyond the example that you gave uh, for your own investment, which was a great example of it, actually, uh, by the way. But but can you say what you're seeing more broadly within that market and 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 how you see it developing and, and gives confidence and trust in the development of a credible carbon market? I'm sitting in various network groups and I'm discussing with big companies, what are you doing with sustainability, your ESG, because we know now by law in EU in 24, uh, already now, I think in Denmark, we already have a law that if you are advertising any kind of green, you need to have it backed up by an LCA calculation. That alone is going to change a lot in this uh, industry, uh, because then we are removing a lot of the bad access, which is still out there, right? The problem is also, I think, an attitude uh, from the different companies, because right now, a lot of big companies, they are just looking for that green certification that they can put on their books, and they don't care if it's data manipulated. They don't care about uh, is it is it true or not true. They just need to look good in their books and trying to look at the cheapest version or the cheapest way to get that tick mark so they can say i've done what i could i'm not responsible for that and so on and so on that's a form of greenwashing really isn't it it is greenwashing right and 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 that's the biggest problem that some companies are happy enough just to do it because they're just seeking the the cheapest uh solution right but now making a transparent system and the reason why they they can get away with it is because the system isn't transparent now having the transparency some big companies that we're working with is starting to see that this is exactly what we've been looking for, but we just never knew that you could use the blockchain for this. And now we are putting all the, the I would say, the good companies, people, who, uh, the companies actually does make a difference. It doesn't need to be only AG tech. It could be anything within driving the green agenda. But for me, that is now suddenly making it transparent. We are also talking back to what I said before with Emily, the consumer's, once they see that this is the level of transparency, if I can scan a QR code on a product and not only just see the journey, see the carbon footprint, but this whole product has taken, it's gone from, let's say, Brazil, it's gone to a manufacturer, it's done this, and a farmer, ship, and so on. So we need to understand what is that LCA calculation on the whole carbon footprint journey on this one. That's one thing. But also, how can we, how can we make that maybe more like even more visible that you can track in and see that we know that X amount have been has been sold. We know X amount have been produced. We can track that also via the the uh, the metadata of the 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 actual product, right? So it gives us more in depth, more transparency. And if you are buying products where you can have that transparency, any kind of company who is shady and not providing it, their consumers they will be gone. Price is still a big difference or big factor in all this. But I believe that future generations 
the values means much more than that. Even you know, even myself, I would say you know, if I can have two products who look the same, it might be a couple of dollars difference. But if I can track the QR code on this and actually see the journey, I maybe will also have a bigger understanding why this costs a little bit more because I can see what has been through. I can see what is being added. I can even see that maybe half percent of the price of this is now going to charity supporting this, this, and this. You know, it's about what kind of visual journey or what kind of data are we showing the consumers. So I think eventually in five, 10 years, we will see a massive shift. Like every kind of company needs to have this. Otherwise, their consumers are gone or they as a company are obsolete because they have missed the market. That's how I see it. So that's a fantastic example, isn't it, of the use case of uh, blockchain within uh, visibility and transparency of the carbon footprint of your supply chain. Yeah. Uh, so for any organization looking at its scope three uh, emissions, uh, that's a really powerful tool to yeah. be able to... And we to- can live update it. And we can even live update it, right? So we'll, we can even say that because it's not the same. Every time I send something, let's say from Brazil to Denmark, it could be weather, it could suddenly be in a storm on you know, the ocean, something can happen, but we can still calculate that whole thing via the LCA module. So if something has happened, we just need the input. And then, of course, there's different kind of precautions about we need to trust the data coming in. But then we can actually do a live calculation on the latest batch from this QR code coming in. So suddenly there's a bigger footprint on this one. It doesn't right. mean that actually that you are need to pay a higher price. But we are showing live data about this actually has a higher footprint because this, this, and this. It's incredibly relevant at the moment, especially just my bias of the built environment. We've got a big discussion going on about prefabricated uh, construction versus building on site. So Germany is really far ahead in um, prefab. So you can look at what module that wall module has been through versus what that FSC for certified bit of timber, that bit of concrete aggregate, you can you can really weigh those up. Um, it came up a lot in my undergraduate research uh, on LCAs, actually. <laughs> so I'm uh, loving you're bringing these up uh, and environmental product declarations. So it's from my point of view, I cannot see a downside there to improving that traceability, that accountability, and allowing consumers, even though they're big contractors, allowing consumers to make informed decisions based yeah. on this. Yeah, there's no downside there. <laughs> and you need to give them the option, right? They can look into it. Some some will care, some won't, right? But it's about giving them that transparency in a product. Was it actually gone through, and and what kind of impact has it had, and so on, right? That LCA module is gonna be by law. So any kind of company eventually, they might as well just embrace it now because at some point this is gonna be by law that how have you got through to this calculation, right? How have you come to this result? And what has gone into your calculations? Because, again, we always know with statistics, it's, it's about manipulating that data to look good for your purpose or what you're trying to argument about. <laughs> but this is actually a non-bias saying, this is what goes into production. We need to understand all the elements from shipping, from trucking to uh, the harbor and all these kind of things goes into that complete calculation of a product to understand what is actually the carbon footprint. Otherwise, things is left out in order to look good because then the consumer is just like, okay, I'm happy because this sort of looks okay and I actually fulfill the, I would say, the law about what, what kind of data I need to put in. But then we are still, we're missing we're missing the whole thing, right? Because then we're still trying to make adjustments and make 
laws or politicians are trying to make like uh, changes, but it's on a on a system where you don't have the complete picture of all the data in order to really take a proper assessment of it. You know, so you're missing data. So basically, you're just taking a, a wrong judgment call on something and a wrong decision where you don't have the full picture. And for me, it's about that's why the LCA needs to be by law worldwide. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you will have small countries where you've got to move production or the calculation or anything. So mm-hmm. they're going to manipulate it, right? So we, we need to have a worldwide transparent system with an LCA. This is what we're going to agree on. So no company can come and say, oh, by the way, we're just moving to yeah, whatever country it is, right? Just to, to make it look good. Yeah. So, so here's the practical question then. So for a global, <laughs> so for a global organization, you know, with an international footprint, international supply chains, how do they practically embrace this? How do they, how do they incorporate this type of service and tool within their organization, cost effectively, and practically, and and gather the data in a meaningful way so that they can report on their scope three as well. So there's one thing to to sort of get that data, but then it's aggregating it uh, to be able to report on it as well effectively. Yeah, I don't think right now when I see the big companies are spending a lot of money trying to understand the whole web free, trying to understand blockchain, try to investigate and just do proper research on how can we implement this in our company. Can we, you know, it doesn't make sense at all to implement it, right? Um, so it's not all companies, I would say, that can use, should integrate a blockchain. Maybe it's just about free in some way, and maybe it's connected to a blockchain somehow, right? But this is very isolated, talking about supply chain and making it more like ESG and how can you calculate the whole thing. I think that is, that's not yet you know, we, we, we see big companies investing in this because they're also willing to proper research. They, they, are, they are looking into it. I, I think what I've seen of the big ones is they spend right now just money with big strategy companies. Uh, they're not talking because there isn't really, you know, I would say I'm maybe one of the 20, 25 companies out there who actually is taking this very seriously, trying to do something. I think a lot of people are trying to use it from a financial point of view right now, companies. I'm more like, I can see this will drive forward. That's my passion. And I can see I'm also solving a big pain point as a digital company. How can I, how can I solve my issue right, in trusting the data? But for me, it's more like showing this as a use case. And then big companies can say that, oh, by the way, we could do something similar. You know, I can actually, because we are a big company, we have massive revenue. If we just allocated half percent to mm. our profit, going into a system where basically the only companies that were in that system that could 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 get part of this revenue to fund their projects or fund the the change, the restoration, right? For me, that would be more interesting and and develop some kind of like almost like a green tick. Kind of like this company is vetted. We know it's a it's a legit company. We know it's a legit project they have. They're just missing funding. And I think the big companies can be that. We need to put them together, right? You know. And like I said, I, that's why I'm so I'm spending so much time trying to be that middleman, saying that we have these small companies who actually just need the money, need the funding in order to drive this big. And we have all these big companies who are right now just spending money on buying just you know certificates for for planting a tree or basically green uh, carbon credits and it's it's 
it's not only the solution, you know, just buying trees and, and it's not only the solution, but we need to have so many different kind of solutions. Yeah. You know, on, on soil, soil improvements, we need to have water, we need to have, you know, all these things together. We need to take the big companies. We want to educate you. We want to see what you can actually use the blockchain and you can trust the data coming in because we have now built the system where just try and allocate some, try and fund some of these because what you actually are getting out of it is much more worth than just buying a carbon credit. You actually now have a story. You're changing people's life and you can see a change in the world, what they are doing, what they are providing. That narrative and get, make it more visual, I think it's a much, much more powerful story to tell because we can click the metadata. We can see that 40 tons of oranges come in. It's gone into to, uh, basically being uh, split out. So these are going back to humans. We can see this going back to people in school or, or, or pupils in school. And suddenly they can't afford uh, having food at school. Suddenly we can we can take all that profit, all that food that already has been generated, give that back. We can see, I saw that in Canada, basically. I saw that a test they have done just showing that that small refeed farms together with uh, the food food recovery. I can't remember the exact word, but but they basically had produced or took some of the vegetable and the fruit, gave it to a school. And we actually saw higher concentration in that school because suddenly they were actually fed. They actually got fruit instead of having all this other junk food and stuff like that. So just by a small change in something taking that is already like a waste product or something giving it back because you can you can you can you can sort it out and something is still good, right? And for me, that was just like that change is so powerful for me and just like now we can just back it up with data we can prove it that you are doing a change and i think it's part of the solution moving forward the whole esg that you know we need to make it much more human instead of just data and i think that's my point in a long no i i I, I hear hear what you say i mean data is the new gold it's just going to drive innovation Um, and i'm hearing from you that that we have the solutions we need to be able to yeah. overlay them on these really complex global supply chains, but yeah. we need more investment to to really scale this up. And 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 but the solution is there for any organization to master its scope three emissions, but it, it will require res- new resource allocation. Uh, within these sort of big organizations Uh, but it'd be interesting to explore what some of the downsides are are there risks with this I mean you've talked about the quality of inputs in order to be able to drive the quality of of the data so and we need to be able to trust the data so when we look at the trust throughout that sort of data supply chain what are the risks for us in trusting the data Given. Again, in a in a the blockchain itself, that's why you know everybody always say about no, it's not safe, or people are saying that oh, the blockchain is safe, right? Or the smart contract is safe. The biggest kind of like uncertainty or the biggest risk in all this is trusting the data that comes into the system the first time, right? Because that's the foundation for everything. So that's where we have been very much focused about having a third party audit. In like this is what we want to do. You need to come from an audit point of view and question everything we do. How do we track this? How does it get in? So basically, the LCA module 
how the calculation has done. And this is a massive, big, big, big thing. You know, like this is not an easy job, not something you're just going to do. This is going to take, it's taking months and taking years to actually come through just with the refeed farms to how can we trust when every time they get, let's say, a, a, a truck from any kind of supply chain or any kind of uh, uh, manufacturer, no, how do we make sure that not human mistakes are happening? How can we double check that? How can we back up and 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 secure the whole thing? And we're not going to say it's going to be perfect every time. Mistakes can still happen, but it's about also integrating what I would say uh, artificial intelligence on top of this. Right, once the system is more or less used to, the, we know this is the amount. We know that when a producer is sending, let's say, forty tons of oranges again, now getting basically into refeed. If they only manually put in four hundred kilos, we know that. Based on what they have done before, we know that this is not a normal kind of so we can have stoppers in place saying, Are you, by the way, you need to take a picture of this or you need to do this? So there will be actions integrated, also security actions integrated into the different kind of elements where we know the risk uh, inputs are. So that is something we are developing together with, in this case, Deloitte, uh, but it could be any kind of like audit company that we will develop it with. So we, we are identifying these, we're not telling that to the project. Of course, but we have that between us. So we have a system in place to make sure that we can protect the data, right? But but that that's how we, we do it. Moving on a little bit to what you said about the human side of things. So yeah. human side of the data. Uh, as a bit of a preamble, I'm incredibly passionate about women in STEM. Uh, as a lot of people are in my personal and my professional life, I go out and speak to schools uh, about generating interest and keeping women in STEM throughout school subjects and in their professional careers. Um, there has been a little bit of negative press uh, from the ESG's perspective about the lack of diversity in the sector. Um, my bias is obviously women, as I am one. Um, but do you see that being addressed? And if so, how? Um, and can, can you speak on that subject a little bit? No, I can say from a Web3 point of view, what I think has been amazing to experience, because again, looking from a traditional gaming background, most uh, most developers, most people in this industry are actually men, which also addresses a whole different kind of issue because looking at gamers worldwide, we have roughly around 3 billion uh, gamers uh, playing games at some, you know, whatever it is. Mm. But the quite interesting part of this is 38% is actually women, mm. uh, which you would never think because it, it again highlights that in our industry, a lot of the games are built by men, for men, and there isn't what I will call maybe kind of like intelligent games for women. Uh, so I think automatically it's a whole culture we need to change, right? And I think this Web3 now, I can see that, we, you know, more and more women are getting into this. And there's no, you know, we, we really love the diversity in the Web3 space because, you know, I would say some of the most bright-minded Web3 people I have ever learned from, even though I'm a pioneer, but I learned from these at every kind of like event and conference, is mostly women actually. And and you know, I don't I don't look at if it's a woman or it's a man. It's more for me, it's it's like the skill sets you bring to the table. It's your personal skill sets. And going back to a little bit again with reference with gaming, right? You know, that's why I love gaming because a keyboard can't tell the difference between female, men, uh, disability, religion, skin color, it doesn't matter. It's its the same. We all all have the same kind of like opportunity. And I really feel the Web3 for the first time embraces all. I honestly believe I can see 
things is changing. I can see women are suddenly have the courage to come in because otherwise it's just like, oh, it's technical. It's not. But they actually get it. You know, they really get it. And that I think that is driving also why you can see female investors suddenly is now getting the courage also to be open about, no, I invest. And actually they are better in investing than men because we have different risk profile, right? So it's about embracing our kind of like also our diversity or our different kind of like mindset, how we are as men and women. It's it's not about saying that it's us against you, right? It's more about, you know, we need to have us all because we all have different kind of perspective. And for me, it can happen the same thing within a group of men. You know, like we all have different skill sets and different kind of opinions and different mindsets. So there's really no difference. It's just, for me, it's just men and women, you know, like I, I, for me, it's really not a problem, but I can see the word free space is really embracing it where I think we see a lot of bigger issues in, in other kind of sectors and, and, uh, and industries, but in web free, I, I love this. This is what I really love about uh, the web free. I see people coming in every day, nothing about skin color. It's nothing about religion. It's nothing about gender. It's just like, Oh, welcome to the community. You know, like, boom, you accept it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a really nice point for us to end on, Morton. You're creating <laughs> that environment of support for all. Um, yeah. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. An absolutely fascinating discussion, which we, we could have asked a multitude of questions and carried on. So much to learn, so much to learn, and so much potential as well. So thank you very much for your time today. You're most welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. inviting me. Thank you.